Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You are very welcome to a special episode of Flop Culture, the podcast where we mainly talk about flops. I'm your host, Fanula J. If you are a long-time listener, you'll be familiar with the regularly scheduled episodes of this podcast. This episode is going to be a little different and it kind of kicks off a series of bonus episodes that I want to do occasionally. Uh, usually I invite someone on to talk about one of their favourite flops. These episodes are going to be me talking about something that I'm desperate to talk about that I consider slightly floppy, slightly pop culture adjacent. Um, I'm going to bring in someone else who knows more than me to talk about it with me. So this is the first episode. This has been something that has been scratching at my brain for the last couple of months. And it was one of the main ideas that I had when I thought about this podcast. I was like, this is perfect. This, this is quintessential flop culture. And it is the entire... I suppose cult isn't the right word, but this industry that has become celebrity boxing and I suppose influencer boxing now is the thing, because if you're familiar with me at all, you know, I enjoy a show called Love Island and I had seen some Islanders more recently, I would say in the last year or two, definitely going into boxing as a way to kind of like diversify their income, raise their profile. And I just, I find it really, really fascinating. And the world of influencing has created this other branch of celebrity boxing that never existed before. So I drafted in the 42's Gavin Casey to talk about it a little bit more with me. And we had a really good conversation. So stick around. We get into the sport, but this isn't ever going to be a become a sports podcast, I promise. Gav does that over in the 42. So if you want in on that, go over there, pay for their journalism. It's important. 
Uh, but before that, let's hear this conversation with myself and Gav. Gavin Casey, an absolute pleasure to have you on Flop Culture. How are you doing? I'm absolutely flying, thanks, Vanula. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, this episode is a little bit different, as I'm sure people will glean. Uh, usually I ask people to nominate a flop and they talk about it, but there was something kind of niggling away in the back of my brain that I wanted an excuse to talk about, but fundamentally also needed someone who is more qualified than I am in terms of sport uh, to talk about it with. And I couldn't think of anyone more perfect than yourself to talk about the world of celebrity boxing and how it's evolved over the years. Well, I'll tell you what, I can definitely talk about the boxing side of it. You can do the celebrities and we'll be in and out in no time. Um, <laughs> no, it is, it is an absolutely fascinating topic. And it's strange because it's one that doesn't at all interest me, which is a very, um, I guess, maybe a harsh and, and a less than ideal thing to say at the top of a podcast about this say, very topic. Gav, yeah, that's it. You're really selling it. <laughs> but it's one of those things that has permeated my day-to-day life to the extent that I have to pay attention to it and I kind of have to know about it and I need to understand the implications for what I would deem to be real boxing. And... I also am not like vehemently against it. I'm not going to have this like curmudgeonly attitude towards it, I don't think. I mean, we'll see how the conversation unfolds. It's just one that like, ha- it didn't, it wouldn't have crossed my radar if it didn't interfere with my job, if that makes sense. And if it didn't have ramifications or implications for boxing at large. So um, I'm looking forward to the chat because I feel as though you'll be able to teach me an awful lot about it as well. And hopefully by the end of it, between us will have made sense of the entire thing. Oh, absolutely. I've learned so much against my will, uh, to be honest. Can we talk (laughs) about like where this started? You know, the history of like why celebrities Mm. got involved in the first place. Like I have a few, with my pea-sized brain, I have a few ideas as to why, why boxing in particular. But can you give us a bit of like background on why the sport draws so many famous people in? Yeah, I think it's difficult to pinpoint an exact a start line for it but I guess like if you think of Emma Lazarus's poem at the base of the Statue of Liberty she says like give me your tired your poor your huddled masses yearning to breathe free the wretched refuse of your teeming shore and the boxing version of that would be give me your tired your poor your international drug cartel leaders your octo moms you know it's just open for business to absolutely anybody and Obviously, they don't even need to be involved in the sport to uh, begin a career in it or to begin some form of enterprise within it, right? So, like, I, I would stress that anybody who, who can make money within boxing will be welcomed into it, but they're not necessarily even making money for boxing, per se, because boxing doesn't exist as a singular entity in that way. It, it's an industry but it consists of multiple stakeholders who operate independently to one another. There's nobody overseeing it on a global level, the way, say, a FIFA would with football, the way, um, in a more insular sense, like the GAA would with Gaelic Games in Ireland. There is no boss, there's nobody to prevent it from happening, and it's ripe for the picking. And its participants, even professional, actual, real-life boxers, have a history of being exploited by figures within it, But equally, 
the sport itself is just ripe for exploitation by external parties who can just stroll into it and they can use it to make money with virtually no supervision. And quite often those third parties will bring with them uh, people from outside of the sport, put them in a ring and, and look to make money in that way. And I guess if you were to try and figure out what was like the first proper celebrity fight, I would say throughout centuries of boxing, there have been probably many of them. The highest profile one that a lot of people would point towards, and I wouldn't even say that it was the start of this craze by any stretch, but it was just a, a bit of a milestone in the genre of celebrity boxing was when Muhammad Ali fought a gentleman by the name of uh, Loyal Alzado, who was a defensive end for the Denver Broncos NFL team in 1979. Now, Ali had just regained the heavyweight title against Leon Spinks, but he was over the hill. He was long past his best. As it transpired, Loyal Alzado, who had a, a background in amateur boxing before he had become a football player, handled himself pretty well. Ali was quite complimentary of him, obviously took it easy on him, probably had not really trained for the fight. But the uh, genesis of that fight as an event was an effort to make money right like it was uh it was a capitalist pursuit it was an exhibition ali was guaranteed something like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. so from his point of view why would he not do it he was at a stage of his career as well where he was being taken advantage of by people within boxing and some of the people around him and then from alzado's point of view he saw it as an opportunity firstly to fight against the heavyweight champion of the world his own rocky story he had a little bit of a boxing background as i mentioned but also, he was stuck for money. He had a restaurant that wasn't doing especially well. He wanted to use the fight to grow his profile and, and gain a little bit of leverage in contract negotiations with the Denver Broncos, his employers. At the time, he was on about 90 grand a year. He wanted to earn about 200 grand a year. He was supposed to be guaranteed 100 grand for this Ali fight, but that was only in the event, I think, that the event was a success in and of itself. So what transpired instead was, instead of 60,000 people piling into Mile High, Mile High Stadium in Denver to watch Ali and one of their own, Alzado, only something like 20,000 people turned up, only 11,000 of whom had actually paid to get in there. So the event was an unmitigated financial disaster. Alzado had actually put his house up as collateral to offset oh some God. of the promotional costs. And I don't know, I, I looked into this and there's no evidence to suggest that he lost his house in the end, but certainly he was in court for many years afterwards seeking... Um, some form of financial reward for his efforts that night. I think at one point he was awarded $90,000, but that was then overturned on an appeal. And I guess that was the first, let's call it celebrity fight, even though one of them was an actual boxer and one of the greatest boxers of all time, to garner some form of mainstream media attention in the States at least. And while it was a financial disaster, it probably gave birth to the idea that you could do this and if you did it properly, maybe there would be financial reward at the end of it. Aside from the money, do you think it is a thing of, as well, do you reckon any of them look at it and see it as like an actual challenge? And from a, because I think the whole thing with celebrities is like perception and how they're perceived by fans, haters alike, whatever. Do you think they see it as like, a chance to prove themselves in that way because I mean obviously like it makes sense because it's like not a team sport it's much more accessible in that way and it's just you training for something very hard like even if you don't really know boxing you know what goes into making weight and stuff like that do you reckon there's an element mm. to that or is it ultimately money talks no I think 100% what you're saying uh, applies to modern day celebrity boxing 
at, let's call the let's call like I describe it as say like the top level of celebrity boxing, which in the grand scheme of things within boxing is not a very high level at all. But say we're going to be chatting about Jake Paul and Tommy Fury plenty, right? Now, Tommy Fury is obviously a boxer in so far as he had <laughs> thirteen or fourteen amateur fights. I, I would suggest that he doesn't need to box. And in an ideal world, if I was part of his group of friends or family, I'd probably tell him, listen, you're a good looking man. You've done well for yourself. Like what Stay the hell are you doing? Right? And do the YouTube videos. You don't need to be doing this. Well, Bambi's going to need a dad like who can lift her up when he's 40. You know what I mean? Um, or maybe not actually. She'd be pretty old at that stage. That might be weird. But uh, I just mean like you probably don't need to pursue this as a career. Now the same applies to Jake Paul, right? But I absolutely believe that Jake Paul it trains hard enough and has trained uh, as a boxer on and off for probably four years now and has had significant enough wins against albeit mixed martial artists and at that mixed martial artists who were years over the hill and were pretty much climbing off the, the off the couch to fight him <laughs> where he would believe I actually think I'm you know I actually I'm pretty good at this right like he's had some highlight real knockouts in front of uh, thousands of fans, millions of viewers around the world. They go viral every time because of his profile. And that will feed the ego of a man, first and foremost, but especially a man who is putting in the work, who is is buying into the kind of machismo of, of taking on a guy mano a mano and um, who believes that, or will grow to believe that they're pretty much unstoppable. Like, I do truly believe that Jake Paul is deluded enough to think that he can make a dent in the sport at a pretty high level. Of course he won't. Of course he won't. But eventually, I, I think to a degree, any boxer who gets in there to begin with, whether they're a celebrity or not, has to delude themselves into thinking that they are the best or that they can become the best. Because otherwise, it's an absolutely insane thing to do. Like if you're not aiming to get the, to the very top of it, then why would you do it at all? You're getting punched in the face routinely. So uh, I think Paul probably believes if he beats Tommy Fury, a supposedly real boxer... He moves on and maybe fights a, an even better boxer next time. One of the sanctioning bodies in real boxing, the WBC, who are a joke of an organization, but are, are one of the, the four main bodies that sanction real-life fights between real-life boxers, have said they'll put the winner of this fight into, I think, the top 40 of their world rankings, which is absurd, but they are absurd. And again, that will lend credence to Paul's delusions that he's actually on the right track here and that he can do something in this sport. And I think with the two of those guys, this fight between them isn't about money at all, really. It's a little sweetener at the end of it for both of them, but they have manufactured a feud, right? These two guys have absolutely no reason to cross, pa cross paths in day-to-day -day life. Like, mm. one of them is a former Disney star from America, the other is a Love Island star and the younger brother of... Uh, the world heavyweight champion at the moment from England. And it's like, you know, why would they have any problem with each other? But they've managed to manufacture a rivalry. And at, certain, at a certain point, there's a threshold you cross where it doesn't feel manufactured anymore. You start to say hurtful things about one another and suddenly you do want to take each other's heads off. And I think at, at the core of modern day celebrity boxing is this sense of settling scores and I think that comes from the creation of, say, YouTube culture, or, or like, let's say the advent of YouTube culture, the creation of being a YouTuber as a full-time occupation. And I'm not talking about, say, somebody who has like a history channel on YouTube or somebody who reviews movies or 
does like a fucking 90 minute review of the latest episode of The Last of Us on a, on a Monday morning, but more so people who exist as personalities on YouTube. In order to keep that interesting, I, I would suggest that you probably need to have rivalries with somebody, right? It kind of reminds me of the guys from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. They often joke about like, if they're doing something, it's like, well, who are we doing it against? You know what I mean? And maybe in order just to garner that little bit more attention that more, and also just retain the attention of your existing audience, you pick a fight with some rando. And the thing is, the audience is going to want to see a resolution in that rivalry that you've manufactured. And what better way and what cleaner way to do it, I guess, than in the confines of a boxing ring um, where there are rules, where there will be an element of supervision and where you can make an absolute killing from it and potentially do it again for even more money. So that's where it probably differs now to, say, Lyle Alzado fighting Muhammad Ali in 1979. I think Lyle Alzado looked at that as an opportunity to pay off some bills. The guys that are doing it now are probably chasing uh, status more so than money, uh, are probably actually, I don't want to say stupid enough, but because it feels unfair, but are, are probably deluded enough to thinking that it can be something they do long-term. And hey, look, if you're, I guess it must be pretty fun, otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. Even aside from all of the training, the cutting weight, the, the horrific run-up to a fight that I know firsthand from speaking to boxers and, and being around them when they're preparing for a fight, there has to be a gratification to it at the end of it. Otherwise, Jake Paul wouldn't have done it four or five times and Tommy Fury wouldn't have done it as many times as he has. That's the thing. And I think especially with the Pauls, like they're not short of a few bob, you know what I mean? They have that mm. weird drink thing, their own YouTube <laughs> empires, podcasts, like they have other businesses coming out the wazoo. Like I'm sure money, I think when you get to that level of earning that amount of money, like, I, I don't see how you can't turn the tap off. Like, how do you stop? But it definitely, you look at them and it's like, it has to be for status. And even the way they go, again, just using Jake Paul and Tommy Fury as an example, like, it's the thing of being able to go at each other on social media. And it's definitely the thing of being, and I know this is probably fair for most boxers, but it's the thing to be able to say, like, I won. And as you said, yeah. maybe actually, I think for... The Pauls in particular, like it's probably a credibility thing to be able to be like, oh yeah, well, this is just something I wanted to do. I started off as a YouTuber, but now I'm like actually defeating like people who are actual boxers and I've turned pro, you know? Yeah, you're 100% right. And I think the appeal of this fight to anybody really, like I'd stress that this fight doesn't necessarily appeal on a base level to a boxing fan, somebody who stays up until four in the morning in Ireland watching a fight in America on, uh, you know, a Saturday night, Sunday morning is not going to be especially interested in a Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury fight because they're two relative novices, um, neither of whom probably deserve in boxing terms the attention that they receive even from within boxing circles. Like a lot of actual boxing fans issues with celebrity boxing outside of say the safety concerns and things like that is that it's actually a black eye for the sport and an embarrassment to the sport that guys can stroll in from other walks of life and make a bigger cultural impact than some of the actual world-class boxers that already existed within the sport and like to that i would say tough shit because the boxers who are actually doing this for a living who have been amateurs since they were five or six years old, maybe go to the Olympics, they turn pro, they sign with promoters, they build their careers, climb the ladders, etc. 
they could be doing more on, say, social media to build their own profiles, in which case you'd have a more mainstream interest in what you were doing anyway. So I don't begrudge uh, Tommy Fury or, or Jake Paul for the attention that they receive. I would say, as a boxing fan, watching some of the promotion in the lead-up to their fight, it, it, it was jarring, I guess, that on a night about three weeks ago when uh, an English fighter called Anthony Yard was facing a, a Russian by the name of Artur Baturbiev in a light heavyweight world title fight, they brought Paul and Fury together in the ring afterwards to promote their fight, right? The reason why it was jarring is because the Yard-Baturbiev fight, which turned out to be one of the fights of the year so far, an amazing spectacle, an amazing feat of courage and athleticism by both guys, was on normal BT Sport. So if you had a BT Sport subscription, you could watch it. It wasn't on Mm pay-per-view. And suddenly these guys are paving the way, or sorry, I guess they exit stage left, Baturbiev won. um, And then you bring Tommy Fury and Jake Paul into the ring for a completely, you know, like a little bit of a queasy, cringy, shouting match. (laughs) Neither of these guys even really dislike each other (laughs) under the surface, you know. And it's been promoted as a box office fight on the same channel. So that fight will be on BT, but it'll be BT Sport box office for which even BT Sport subscribers will have to pay extra money for the privilege of watching these two gentlemen go at it, right? (laughs) Whereas they didn't have to pay extra to watch two legitimately world-class guys do it. So that's where it probably rankles with actual boxing fans. It's the sense that some of the YouTube, or excuse me, some of the celebrity boxing stuff feels as though it's been put over the top, even within the sport. But again, the reason why that is the case is because that fight is going to make a killing for the people involved in it. It's going to make a lot of money for BT Sport. And I, sorry, I started by saying, I guess the appeal of this fight, if there is one to even an actual boxing fan, is just that primal thing of wanting to see a score settled with a pair of fists or two of them. Uh, and like that doesn't appeal to everybody. I completely understand that. Even as somebody who covers boxing uh, for my job or part of it, and as somebody who enjoys the sport, uh, I particularly enjoy the characters and the stories involved in the sport. There are times when I watch two guys thumping heads off each other and it makes me feel uncomfortable. Like I, I understand completely like the uh, potential repercussions uh, for the guys who get in there and do this. At the same time, it's not conscription. It's It's an opt-in thing. They've chosen this as their path in life as their careers but with a Paul Fury fight which on paper shouldn't appeal to me at all I am intrigued to watch it purely because at the end of it one of them is going to be hugely hugely embarrassed like those are the stakes we're talking about if you strip all of the bullshit and the the sort of grandiose promotion of it away the stakes are that one of them is going to have a reputational black eye because they've both been jawing at each other for months on end, probably years on end at this point. One of them is probably going to win and the other one is going to look like an absolute gobshite. That's pretty fun. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) And I think if you start, as much as their verbal feud has been completely manufactured, if you start invoking people's family members the way Jake Paul has uh, in saying that, Molly May, he probably made Tommy take this fight because she's sick of being the breadwinner in saying that, um, you know, (laughs) in saying that your family is going to disown you if you lose this fight, etc. Which, by the way, Tyson Fury, uh, Tommy's older half-brother, sort of alluded to, but I think jokingly, like, 
those words do have meaning, even if this is uh, purely business, right? Like, mm. you can't say words out loud and not expect there to be, like, connotations to them or, or expect them to carry a little bit of weight, at least, because you are trying to hurt a guy's feelings. Like, that is what the point of those words are. So if you say all of this, for example, and you say, uh, as Jake Paul has, this is the end of the road for you, Tommy. Uh, enjoy your last couple of days as a boxer. You're, you're written off after this. Your family's going to disown you, etc. And then you lose. That's going to be one of the funniest things ever. And that's the appeal <laughs> of the fight to me, is that one of them is going to look like a real idiot. And, and by the way, on the flip side of it, Tommy Fury should beat Jake Paul. He, he's had more fights, uh, both as an amateur and a professional, even if those have been like extraordinarily low-level fights. I mean, some of the guys... Fury has fought as a pro have had maybe one or two wins and like a hundred losses. They're career journeymen who basically earn their living by getting into the ring on a fortnightly basis, uh, putting up some sort of an effort against a, an up and coming prospect, but losing almost deliberately really in that they don't, they don't actively try to win. They get their paycheck, they move on. It's an honest living. Tommy Fury has fought a good few of those and hasn't really been tested against anybody of note. Um, he, sh- he should still beat Jake Paul because he is more of a boxer, I would suggest, than Jake Paul is. But if he doesn't beat Jake Paul, and if the ex-Disney Channel YouTuber <laughs> comes into your <laughs> realm and embarrasses you, you, I mean, if I was his family, I would disown him at that point. So, <laughs> so there you go. Those are the stakes. And, and to be honest, again, on a very fundamental level, that that is pretty interesting, and that's where I wouldn't be like, as I said at the very top of the show, I wouldn't be vehemently against it because, um, for the most part, it is entertainment as we consume it. Uh, the only caveat being that it is incredibly dangerous entertainment that the two guys will be providing us. The reason I wanted to do this episode was because I feel like there'd been a a kind of a turning point in my mind as someone who obviously doesn't really engage with the sport at all. Uh, I was seeing like influencers and content creators there's one specifically her handle is yodeling Haley, but her name is Haley sharp and if you are very online like me you'll know that she made up the dance for that went viral on tiktok for say so the doja cat song and that's the only reason why i follow her like she's a good choreographer otherwise and she's actually quite funny right but then i was seeing her her posts changed because i was seeing her train and talk about this boxing match and i was just like what the fuck is going on here? So then that led me to (laughs) learn about this thing called Creator Clash that she was taking part in. And she was actually fighting an Irish Twitch streamer called uh, Justa Minx. And Justa Minx ended up beating her or whatever. But I think she signed up to do the next one, Yodeling Haley, I should say, which is taking place, I think, later this year. I think it's April in Florida, of course. But I was just, and I suppose it was that. And I was also seeing, if anyone remembers, because I have to bring everything back to Love Island, AJ Bunker, who was on it a couple of seasons ago, she fought Elle Brooks recently again in this weird, and I think she stepped in for someone else. Anyway, I was just think I was just like, this is weird. Like, when did this become this? And I'm wondering, was the turning point the pause? Like, was that when it was like, okay, like, like anyone can just do this and you'll make a few bob and it's a bit of crack? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely the case. It was the pause and I guess KSI... Uh, with whom I'm, I'm really unfamiliar still, to be totally honest. But those were the the three guys that probably kickstarted this cultural movement, if you could go as far as to call it that. And I would suggest that because of their commercial success, because of their online success in boxing professionally, quote unquote, 
there's a sort of a trickle down effect to that where some of the say the the two women you mentioned there they might not garner anywhere near the same attention as the polls or, or a ksi but i mean you heard about it right like it, it does make a little bit of a dent within the, the confines of their own followings etc and, and maybe increases those and again what you sort of i guess it's the cross-pollination of competing against somebody else suddenly those two fan bases or two sets of followings are, are kind of intertwined maybe they're uh, going at each other a little bit but like you're bound to have some sort of a spillover of people who are going to follow you as a result of uh, your fighting the person that they were already following right so like even just in terms of reach which is a really you know probably an old-fashioned term at this point maybe it makes sense i think the Again, where I would draw is a, a distinction between, uh, say, the women you mentioned there and uh, some of the celebrity boxers in the modern age that are doing it and, say, something like 2002 Celebrity Boxing Series on Fox, which I'll try and get back to, is that the people who are doing it now are doing it of their own volition. I would suggest that quite often it's they who propose to, say, an agent or a manager or whoever that they would like to do it rather than a letter coming in the door, as would have been the case in 2002, inviting you to partake in this uh, celebrity boxing series on television. Uh, And typically that letter would have arrived at the doors of of people who, now I'm talking about celebrities, but celebrities who were possibly vulnerable, stuck for money, etc. Whereby it felt as though, to me anyway, looking back over that period of time, they were lured into it and, and very much exploited. Uh, I feel as though actually the people who do it now, the Twitch streamers, the YouTubers, the whoever else's, are almost exploiting the sport of boxing for their own gain. And again, I don't really hold that against them, that the sport is there to be exploited in that manner. But I just think that's been the biggest flip uh, between, say, two eras, the early 2000s of celebrity boxing and the present day. And I mean, even just to touch upon the, Fox show that I mentioned, right? So this was a a thing that ran on television in 2002 in America. And the idea was uh, you had a couple of episodes, three or four fights on each episode between two celebrities. I guess it was like Celebrity Deathmatch minus the uh, extraordinary violence and weaponry and whatnot. (laughs) Just a a boxing match, pretty short. But like you had, say... um, Dustin Diamond, who, who played Screech in Saved by the Bell, w- was involved in that. Paula Jones, who had sued Bill Clinton for sexual harassment. Clinton was the president at that point, I guess. Uh, she wound up fighting Tonya Harding, the disgraced former ice skater, upon whom the Margot Robbie movie, I, Tonya, is based. And, and I wrote a, a piece on the 42 some years back about Tonya Harding's boxing career in and of itself, which was kind of remarkable and sad in its own ways and it was just her really looking for a second chance in American society um I don't think there were too many cynical motivations within it but like the the maddest one from that Fox series celebrity boxing was uh Joey Botafuco who was basically famous for for being a a child rapist um whose victim Amy Fisher had, had shot his wife in the face at one point he boxed against a woman uh China from WWF wrestling as it was then, WWE now, uh, some older wrestling fans who listen to the pod will be familiar with China. And like China was a late substitute for this guy, John Wayne Bobbitt. He was famous for having his dick chopped off by his past wife while he slept, right? Jesus Christ. Um, But he was removed from the card and replaced by China 
because he was found to be physically abusing his current wife, so a different woman to the one who had uh, forcibly removed his penis. Uh, oh and like God. that was so that was sort of the clientele we're dealing with. And I don't mean I certainly don't mean to lump all of those people in together. They're they're not in the same bracket whatsoever. But just like if you took in isolation Joey Botafuco boxing a woman on Fox Television in the states, and he was. Boxing China because his original opponent had been found to be physically abusing a woman, there is a certain, okay, again, China has opted into this situation, but there is a weird optic thing going on there. Like what better way to take a stance against domestic violence than have, you know, a child rapist uh, boxing a woman on national television, right? You know, like it, it's absolutely insanity. And like, you know, even it's funny. I think I, I think I mentioned Octomom at the very top and, Amy Fisher, the woman who shot Joey Botafuco's wife in the face. Thankfully, she survived. Um, did she? I don't know. Listeners might have to Google I'll that one. I'll check that. It's fine. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah. Uh, but like Amy Fisher wound up fighting Octomom, I'm pretty sure, about 10 years later. So there was this weird, I think there was a, a, a very odd sphere of celebrity boxing going on in the States at that time. It probably didn't make like a an enormous cultural ripple but certainly when it happened these people would have gotten attention a little bit of money kept themselves in the headlines um i should stress as well john wayne bobbitt did have his penis sewn back onto him which i didn't even realize was anatomically possible but uh, i i believe for a length of time at least afterwards he did still have a penis which i guess is good but you'd have to question as well what what drove his wife to do that you know um so yeah it's uh yeah uh, <laughs> wait, sorry, no, not John Wayne Bobbitt. It was Joey Botafuco had his penis removed. Was it? Who knows? Who cares? Um, who cares? Who cares? The penis that was lost in that in that equation was was restored. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. For anyone who's unfamiliar as well, Octomom is Nadia Sulman, who just got famous for having octoplets, which is, that's not to say that that's not impressive, but that was her whole, like... You know what I mean? Like the word celebrity there is used loosely. Like Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I feel for some of those people in that it's clear. It was clear, I think, at that time that some of them were recruited as part of more of a freak show, I think. And I, I think there was an element in which organizers involved in this would have understood that there would be a gratification in watching, say, a Jody, Joey Botafuco. Um, and yeah, sorry, I should stress um, just having checked it. Botafuco's penis was fine. It was the other guy who had his penis chopped off. But, you know, like he was fighting China, uh, a woman. There was probably something very deliberate in that. Like reading about the fight, I think he was roundly booed throughout it. By the way, absolutely zero sympathy for the guy. Fucking creep, right? But I just mean there were um, probably subliminal or... or I don't know, like sort of interior motivations yeah. in the in the selection of some of these people. It was a television spectacle. You probably wanted people to be strongly rooting for one person and, and against another. And while you could absolutely argue that Botafuco 
deserves to have his head caved in by somebody like China. Uh, probably some of the people involved in that had reached a level of notoriety that was uh, comparably harmless and like did not deserve to be exploited in such a way. Um, and I, I suppose the the interesting aspect to that, to me, in the aftermath of it, is that like as much as yes, Amy Fisher went up fighting Octomom years later, and of course there have been a few more. Like we might touch upon even Kim Kardashian and, and the Ricky Gervais thing. I know you you mentioned those in our emails, but like it didn't really take off either. So I wonder, and I can't speak from personal experience. I was ten at the time and living across the Atlantic, but I wonder did it sort of leave a bad taste where even viewers watching it were like this isn't good in any way really i mean firstly the fights are going to be absolutely atrocious right like if you were in any way interested in competitive sport this isn't what you want to be seeing like you probably see a better fight outside your local kebab shop on a saturday night like so uh, i don't know that it was ever going to be like a, a spectacle in that way and maybe because some of these celebrities were only like tenuously famous and some of them were, were clearly even evil characters and others were just down and outs it maybe felt as though like yeah this was this was a dark time for a couple of weeks on fox and let's move on from it as quickly as possible you know for sure for sure you mentioned ricky gervais there and what's funny is that he fought grant bovey in 2002 and he came up on season one of flap culture and we talked about his wedding to anthea turner which may or may not have been sponsored by cadbury who can even say at this point I didn't think I remembered this fight, but I feel like I remember the promos for it on TV more than the actual fight itself. What do you remember of it, if anything? Virtually nothing in all honesty. I just remember seeing clips of it subsequently, probably in the uh, Twitter age where it might have popped up once or twice. And I'm actually not even sure if I had BBC at the time when it would have aired, so I wouldn't even have necessarily been exposed to the build up to it but because I knew we were going to be chatting about it and because I obviously knew uh, at this stage that it had happened I I sort of did read about it and it's pretty fascinating in the sense that like firstly that it was on BBC at all Um, I think it it attracted something like five and a half million viewers on BBC which Mm. is pretty extraordinary Uh, and it was interesting I mean firstly it it was a follow-up to a hugely successful event that had already aired on BBC, which was a fight between Bob Mortimer, the comedian, and Les Dennis, the actor. I think that had gotten about 6 million viewers. Uh, but soon after Beauvais Gervais, uh, it was sort of discontinued. And like, it was sold as a grudge match from what I can glean uh, from like the, the residue of it online. And I read an interview with Gervais in Q Magazine where he said... The press tried to make it out uh, as though it was a grudge match, but I'd never met the bloke and I certainly have got nothing against him. Which is because <laughs> I was like, what an extraordinary pairing really, you know, to pit together for this grudge match. I, and I was trying to find like the origin of their feud, presuming it to be similar to celebrity boxing as we know it today. And there just was none. They just got picked. Gervais was doing The Office. Bovi was being Anthea Turner's husband, I guess. I don't really know. Um, I think it was, like, obviously this was, I was going to say it was Gervais's peak. I'm not really sure about that. But obviously, like, the, the popularity, like, skyrocketing with The Office. And then Grant was kind of enemy number one after the alleged SponCon wedding. Like, people oh. were 
mad about that wedding. So basically, for anyone who hasn't listened to the episode, go back and listen to it. But essentially, they had this magazine deal with OK Magazine. When they were at the wedding, the photographer was like, can we get a pic of you eating a Cadbury snowflake, whatever? And they had loads of snowflakes there. And they were like, yeah, obviously, sure, whatever, right? Didn't think anything of it. This is what they say now, right? They alleged that OK had kind of gone away and done this like separate deal with Cadbury to tie in with the magazine deal. So the cover of OK Magazine is them getting married, but they're like eating like these white or it's like flake with like white in the middle. And everyone was like, this is so naff. And like, you sold, you sold the best day of your life away to like a chocolate bar. Like they were, you know, when SpawnCon happens in this day and age, it's kind of like lol. And everyone has a lol about it privately, but nobody's in public being like, you should die, whatever. Like Anthea Turner talks about the fact that she'd lost jobs over this. So I think it was maybe probably a bit, if I was to speculate, I think it's probably a bit of that. You've like the golden boy of comedy and then this businessman who sold his wedding for a chocolate bar allegedly allegedly don't sue me please yeah I I think that makes absolute sense and even in that Gervais interview he sort of alludes to the fact that it was the media who created the good and bad dynamic between them he was very much the hero to Bovey's villain and he even didn't really understand that I think um some of like his quotes about it are pretty funny in general like he says uh, like Gervais won the fight, but it was uh, watching it back. It's just so bad. Like, so it was three way, 90 second rounds. Yeah. By the way, Rick Gervais. So he trained for six weeks, I think for it, but he was trained by David Hay, who has gone on to do better things both in and out of the ring. I think it's fair to say, um, <laughs> but that was two th- Gavin, don't get me sued by anyone else. <laughs> I'm just saying he's a successful man. Um, and like, that's, even that is pretty funny on the face of it that David Hay was willing to entertain this, right? Now, in fairness, mm. he was probably firmly aware of the need to grow his own profile, which at that point in the UK even was non-existent. It was, I think, before he was even a cruiserweight world champion, certainly before he went on to achieve kind of more mainstream fame as, fame as a heavyweight. But uh, Gervais says... Um, I, <laughs> I think I won on points because I lent on him heavier than he lent on me. I wouldn't fight again. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Considered I, considering I don't do anything else, panel shows or game shows, I just chose the worst one I could ever do, apart from I'm a celebrity, get me back on the telly, I'll eat a spider. Christ knows <laughs> what I was thinking. And yeah, I, I think a lot of celebrities who go into it have a similar sort of a reaction where it's almost a relief to escape from it with your faculties intact and you probably never wish to do it again. And others, younger guys, like both of them were 41 at the time. Mm. So a lot of the criticism in Britain towards it from the boxing community at the time was met with a response from the organizers. Well, you know, they're wearing headguards, I think, and it's basically an amateur fight. What's the big deal? But at the time you couldn't fight as an amateur above the age of 35 in the UK under British Boxing Board of Controlled Rules. So they were well older than that. And obviously at that age, if you're fighting for the first time, it's a lot more dangerous. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I don't know that it was either man's finest hour really. It, it, but isn't it funny exactly as you say about the, the spawn con and the wedding aspect to um, Turner and Bovey's, you know, roller coaster romance. If that happened now, I feel, depending on who was involved, I feel as though people would nearly applaud them for it or embrace it. It'd be like, well, you know, weddings are fucking expensive, so good for you. 
A hundred percent. Like it's so, we talked about on that episode about like, like Nick Jonas and Priyanka Chopra Jonas now are probably the best example of it. Like there was not, they monetized every single aspect of their wedding. And it was like, I was just like, gas. Like if I was famous, to be honest, I also think I'd do the same. Like it, it makes sense, but it's, yeah, it's just, it's just nuts. If if you're living in a universe in which your wedding is going to be discussed ad nauseum in like gossip columns or whatever the modern version of that is, I guess, websites, <laughs> I'm not that old, right? But like, you know, if, <laughs> if it's going to become part of the online discourse uh, and like I would suggest there are probably going to be photographers outside of it, even if they're not allowed into it, etc. then why not? turn a little windfall on it like you know what I mean like if people Absolutely. are going to make it their business to know what your wedding was like then fucking open the doors make your coin I wouldn't begrudge anybody and it is interesting the extent to which uh maybe society's uh, interpretation of that has shifted in 20 odd years you know for sure you mentioned there that Ricky spent six weeks training for this match uh someone who did not train for six weeks only trained for a week according to her was Kim Kardashian, she yeah. took part in a boxing match in 2009 against Tamara Frappicella. If you yeah. are very into keeping up with the Kardashians, I didn't actually realize this was documented on the show. It was season four, episode six. The episode is called Body Blows. I don't know why I was surprised that this was on the show. Like they don't do anything without it being content that they can chill or whatever. Uh, she did it back in 2009, as I said. Uh, it was part of, they were all fighting, uh, loads of members of the family, and they were all raising money for this Dream Foundation, which helps terminally ill adults. I think yeah. Caitlin at the time did really well in her match. And then Rob, I think Rob Kardashian didn't do as well, ended up in hospital. He got battered. Kim didn't know if she was going to do the match. And then was like, I didn't want to be, you know, the whole thing of like, but I didn't want to let my family down. So then she went Like in. Tommy Fury. Absolutely, yeah. She ended up losing uh, to Tamara and she claims it's the most pain she's ever been in in her life. So there you go. Well, you know, when I was looking over this, because again, I actually wasn't aware that she had ever fought and I, and I won't pretend to sort of be uh, completely in tune with what the Kardashians do ever really, but, but you know, also <laughs> more luck to them. I, I, you know, they don't cross my radar too often, I guess, but I have nothing against them. Um, but looking over it, what struck me mostly was well firstly as you point out the fact that it was on the show because i didn't realize the show actually goes back that far and you were saying it's season Mm. four which is um even weirder to me but secondly i think they only raised about eleven thousand dollars at least that's that's what i at least that's what i read in one art the only article i read about it i'm not gonna lie but it said or may or maybe it was kim's fight specifically but even that alone if kim's fight only raised eleven thousand dollars you'd actually be thinking why didn't you just put the hand into your po- into the pocket? Even then, you surely had eleven grand to spare and spare yourself in the uh, well, spare yourself in the process, the most painful experience you've ever had, or whatever. But like, as as much as we can sort of laugh about that now, and we absolutely should, the Rob Kardashian one is sort of interesting to me insofar as while I accept that or while I presume, rather, that most people don't really give a shit about Rob Kardashian in a general sense anyway compared to the others. <laughs> like, that shows the potential pitfalls of this. He, he went in and he fought some guy who apparently had a little bit of training. Uh, Kim made him out to be, like, a, a professional fighter. I, I really strongly doubt he was, but, you know, a guy who maybe was hitting the gym once or twice a week at the very least, hitting a, a heavy bag, is going to be more um, prepared for it than Rob. And as you say, 
Rob got concussed. He spent, uh, I think he spent the night in hospital. He was being monitored. And that's where you're like, this, we can absolutely laugh about the whole thing and we should. But in reality, when two people meet in the middle of the ring, it's actually not a joke. And that's where a lot of the, uh, I guess that's where a lot of the criticism towards it comes from. It actually comes from a good place for the most part. I'm not even saying it's my own criticism necessarily, but just in, in again in the discourse around this, a lot of people are like, "Well, it, what if it? What if somebody gets gravely injured doing this?" Um, mm. And like you know, around the Gervais Bovey fight, the promoter Frank Warren, uh, who's now Tyson Fury's promoter, if, if people haven't heard of him, uh, had some pretty strong quotes about it. And while I wouldn't really. <sighs> How would I phrase this delicately? I would take everything Frank Warren says with a, you know, a cholesterol-raising pinch of salt, right? But like, he, he says it's a very dangerous sport and it needs to be regulated properly. This is about the Gervais Bovey thing. Uh, you mm. can't just go to the gym for six weeks and think you're a boxer. It takes a long time and a lot of dedication. All of that is fine, right? Makes sense. Maybe a little bit of Sarah Graves, he didn't get in on the action. You know what I mean? He probably couldn't get fights of his own on the BBC at that time. And suddenly it's two celebrities fighting in front of five and a half million people. But where he actually nails it, I think, is he says, the brain doesn't distinguish whether it's being hit by a professional or an amateur. If, heaven forbid, something should go wrong, people won't be saying, let's ban the office or whatever Grant Bovey does. They'll be calling for a ban on boxing. And that's probably the nub of the issue as far as a lot of boxing fans see this is that, and it kind of uh, dovetails with what I'm saying about the sport being exploited by these external third parties is that if trouble ensues, it's boxing that will probably be in trouble at the end of it. Even though I said it's not a singular entity, it'll be whoever sanctioned the fight in a given location. It'll be the broadcasters who decided to show it. And these are the very same broadcasters that actually do show proper professional boxing. And the fallout will be contained within the sport for something that the sport itself didn't ask for, if that makes sense. So um, that's where it probably leaves a sour taste to uh, for some people. But I, again, would draw a distinction between that and like a, Jake Paul, Tommy Fury fight. These are guys who have trained sufficiently to at least have the right to box, I would suggest. And everybody's got to start somewhere. A lot of fights that we see on television in normal professional boxing cards are probably of, you know, a similar or even lower standard than Jake Paul and Tommy Fury. And there are certainly mismatches that we see almost every weekend where some prospect who has a serious amateur pedigree fights some tomato can that they've pulled out of Supermax for the weekend or whatever and gives them an absolute hiding. And that's pretty dangerous as well. So the sport shouldn't be on its high horse necessarily. But I do think the criticism around safety and the potential repercussions within the sport are, uh, is valid. On criticisms, I wanted to put this quote to you from Jonathan Liu. He wrote this in The Guardian, I think it was this year, and I'll link it below in the show notes. Perhaps the most arresting aspect of influencer boxing, a relatively recent phenomenon in which social media stars slap each other around for a couple of minutes to frankly astonishing audience numbers, is how keen it is to cloak itself in the togs of proper sport and proper sport as in inverted (laughs) commas. There are actual commentators saying actual boxing things. After his victory, KSI gets handed a belt for an entirely made up title. On social media, fans analyse the fight in earnestly granular detail, discuss the potential next opponents for KSI. 
For me, the really interesting part of this is why hundreds of thousands of people are so invested in a product that, by any objective sporting standard, is not very good. Yeah. And like, I I understand that completely. I mean, I would probably agree with every word of it in the sense that it does astonish me, but only sort of to a degree, because as much as... I, from the outside of influencer boxer, boxing looking in, will turn my nose up at belts and all of the, the granular granular detail in which some of these guys' fans will break their fights down in. You know, I, I also know people who will sit down on a Wednesday night and watch Fair City or whatever. Like, mm. this is ultimately entertainment. And, like, I can't say that I especially enjoy... Fair City or Love Island or whatever, but that's how some people escape from their, you know, from the rat race and unwind on a given evening. And like you add to the equation then that a lot of these people who watch influencer boxing have an emotional investment and maybe even a parasocial relationship with some of the people involved in the ring. And, you know, it sort of makes sense to me that they would want to follow through some of these manufactured feuds on YouTube and on social media as far as the ring where it actually reaches its resolution. Like, uh, why would they park it on the Friday night of the weigh-in and just not watch the fight? Like, if you're following these guys' lives and these women's lives, then you're probably going to be interested in the fight ultimately. Like, there is a winner and a loser at the end of this. As I mentioned with Jake Paul and Tommy Fury, for example, the stakes in that regard are pretty high. And I don't judge anybody for being interested in it even if aesthetically it's appalling to me because I'm not in their shoes and I'm not as much as I don't follow these people's lives in any way and and I actually don't understand the appeal of uh, kind of YouTubers of their ilk I also probably watch loads of things that you or other people would be like what a weirdo you know what I mean like I've been really getting into like YouTube videos at the moment about what life was like on Earth 300,000 years ago and things like that. You know what I mean? And I'll sit down with like a, a glass of wine and just try and figure out what the Neanderthals are up to or whatever, you know? And that's me unwinding on a Wednesday. So um, outside of sport and, and having friends, I, I swear. Um, so like, yeah, do you know what I mean? But like, it's so it's like, it's all well and good, I guess, to say it's astonishing and all that, but that's coming from the perspective of somebody who doesn't enjoy it. Um, mm. And who probably, uh, and not to put, um, not to cast aspersions on Jonathan, but who probably doesn't give shit, give a shit one way or another about a, a Jake Paul or a Logan Paul or whoever. And like Jake Paul, by the way, has permeated the sport now to a, a far more significant degree than anybody else. Okay, granted, his brother Logan fought Floyd Mayweather in a kind of an exhibition bout and didn't disgrace himself by any means. Um, but Paul has a role in the sport which goes beyond his output in the ring in the sense that he manages, or ostensibly manages Amanda Serrano. She's managed by his company, MVP Promotions. Uh, Amanda Serrano is a, a terrific boxer from Brooklyn, originally Puerto Rico, who would be better known to, to some of your Irish listeners as Katie Taylor's arch nemesis in professional boxing. They're fighting again in Dublin in May. Uh, they fought last at Madison Square Garden in April of last year, just a tremendous fight. And Jake Paul, because of his profile, 
was able to almost via osmosis raise the profile of Amanda Serrano to the degree that she got a lot more money for that fight into seven figures, probably just upwards of a million dollars than she would have otherwise. And again, it'll be mm. the case for the rematch where in the past Amanda Serrano would have been earning, I don't know, probably at most 100, 150 grand. She's into the millions now and it's probably because she hitched her wagon to Jake Paul in a business sense. And like, I met Jake Paul during fight week several times in New York last year. I was lucky enough to be over there covering the Taylor Serrano fight. And one thing I probably should point out is that as much as his personality that I see online doesn't appeal to me in any way, he's, you know, it is an act. Like mm. when you speak to him off the record or just by the side of the ring while the fighters are working out or whatever, he's actually a pretty polite friendly enough guy like from what i could gleam anyway it's a very limited sample size so i don't really know what i'm trying to say to that other or say with that other than maybe the entire product should be taken with a pinch of salt at least until they step into the ring because uh, as much as say the personalities of some of these guys or some of the trash talk or whatever wouldn't appeal to people necessarily it certainly appeals to enough people that they pack stadiums and sell pay-per-views and make a lot of money for it and also i guess the the point that i'm actually trying to make is that they're being very smart in how they're doing it like they're warping their own personalities in a way and, and creating them uh to maximize their earnings maximize their exposure and they have infiltrated the, sp the sport to the point that they're beginning to supersede even some of the guys who are very good at it so yeah good luck to them i guess gav this has been fascinating i'm just i'm i'm just obsessed it was i'm so grateful you came on i really really appreciate it where can people read more of your work listen to you engage more in sports because i think i might have to draw the line here with this with lap culture but there's so much more out there that you have ah uh, sure look you'll, you'll probably find me around the place i guess just um well, the 42, I work for the 42, so I should mention that. I know you mentioned it at the top. <laughs> Why wasn't that the first thing you said? <laughs> I don't know. Apologies. My, all views are my own. I should stress that as well. But uh, no, um, I, I, well, I guess it's just that I don't write about celebrity boxing. So you might be let down if you, if you follow me on Twitter or if you follow my work on the 42. But uh, yeah, mainly rugby focused at the moment with the Six Nations. But um, yeah, as I say, I'll be knocking around Twitter and stuff and... Um, Anybody with any stern thoughts on it, by all means, get in touch with Fanula. <laughs> Don't send them to Gav, he's not interested. <laughs> um, you are more than welcome to come back at any stage to talk about a flat movie or album, just so you're aware. I don't just want to mine you for your intellect. You can come back and have a chat about that at any time. So have a think uh, and we'll get you back in the hot seat. But until then, Gavin Casey, an absolute pleasure to have you on Flop Culture. Thanks a million. Chat soon. And as mentioned at the end there, Gav writes for The 42 and he's on a lot of their podcasts talking a lot of sense about sport. And I will link everything below if you want to check out more of that. Otherwise, it's been a pleasure. The same usual spiel. Reviews are always appreciated. We are creeping towards the 200 reviews on Spotify. Thank you very much for that. Really appreciate it. Uh, and also if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, five star, I should say. I will recommend a personalised bop or flop to you. So please don't hesitate to leave a review if you've been thinking about it. It helps more people find the show and I just love it. It makes me really happy to quote Marge Simpson. I just think it's neat. We are at flopculture underscore pod 
on Instagram and TikTok. I am Fanula J, at Fanula J, everywhere you can find me on social media. This podcast has been edited by Adam Shanahan. Artwork is by Brian Lambert. And until the next time, mind yourself. Bye.